Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 150. I'm actually really excited for this next run of podcast. Um, we're going to actually have a collection of guests from different sports. I'm a big believer in learning from other disciplines um, as we attack our, our baseball training and programming. So I think it's really important to look to folks from a whole different, um, you know, kind of world and, and see what the commonalities of success are across industries. So um, today's guest, the guy I've really respected for a long time, who's had a lot of success, not just in his his, his core competency, which is football, but also in um, MMA uh, with some baseball players, uh, NHL players, uh, Olympic swimmers, you name it. He's super talented and a really bright guy. And I think it'll show in this interview. So enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive NSF certified for sport daily nutritional supplement I've ever tried. With so many stressors in life, it's difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our bodies the nutrients they need to thrive. As a father of three young kids and a co-founder of multiple businesses in multiple states, on top of still being an avid exerciser, I know that busy schedules can really take their toll on us. Whether it's poor sleep, exercise or life stressors, environmental factors, or simply not eating enough of the right foods, we can wind up deficient nutritionally. This is where Athletic Greens can really help. It's a game-changing nutritional insurance policy. They simplify the logistics of getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis by giving you just one thing with all the best things. And that's why I use it daily and recommend it to our athletes. One scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more. They work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, increase energy and focus, aid in digestion, recovery, and supporting of a healthy immune system. This all can happen without taking multiple products. While most nutritional products come to market and stay stagnant, Athletic Greens continues to obsessively improve this one holistic formula based on the latest research, producing 53 improvements over the last decade. They invest in the most absorbable and natural source of each ingredient and go above and beyond in third-party testing to ensure their customers continue to receive the highest quality and best daily nutritional habit on the planet. It's lifestyle-friendly, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, and contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste. They put 75 ingredients to the NSF for Sport certification to come up with a formula that's trusted by some of the world's best athletes, including our own. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving our listeners 10 free travel packets with their subscription. Simply go to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy to receive my offer. These travel packs are perfect for supporting your immune system, energy, and gut health when you're traveling for games, training, or simply when you're on the go. They can be a great counterbalance to less than ideal on-the-road food options. So if you want to bridge the gap between deficient and optimal and give yourself the best chance to get nutrient diversity, then head to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy and get your 10 free travel packets today. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y. Today's guest has served as head strength conditioning coach for the Denver Broncos for the past five seasons. He's also the co-founder of Landau Performance, a training facility in Centennial, Colorado, that has helped to develop thousands of athletes, including Olympians and professional athletes associated with the NFL, NHL, MLB, UFC, and WNBA. A certified strength conditioning coach and muscle activation technique certified specialist, he has lectured extensively both nationally and internationally, consulted across multiple college and professional sports, and authored two books. He also developed the ACL prevention program and the ACL return to sport protocols for the Stedman Hawkins Clinic in Denver, Colorado. He serves on the board of directors for the exercise science program at Metro State University, as well as the board for the master's program at Satanta College in Ireland. He graduated from the University of Northern Colorado, where he received a degree in kinesiology with an emphasis in exercise science. 
Please welcome to the show, Lauren Lando. Lauren, it has been way too long. Thank you so much for taking the time. I'm excited for this. Eric, I appreciate the opportunity, man. And anytime I get a chance to talk to you, uh, I'm all ears. Nice. Well, you're, you're actually the, the first in a run. So we've, we've gotten really baseball focused with this podcast, which was the original intent, but um, I'm like a huge believer in, in looking outside of our, you know, our own industry, seeing what people are doing in every other sport. So I, I talk to golf folks, football folks, basketball, hockey, you name it. Um, so we're kind of starting this little run of, of talking to folks from other sports who really have great perspective and, and you check a lot of boxes. Um, you know, you obviously have a, you know, more recent history and, and being really locked in in football, but I know you've done stuff in MMA. You've, you've worked with baseball guys. Um, so I'm curious, you know, like big picture, what are the, the lessons that you think baseball players can borrow from just about, you know, any discipline, but particularly the, the football world nowadays? Uh, when I look at the football world, you know, nowadays and, and, you know, the development of training and, and really the gaps I see within football, I, I would, guess that it's probably pretty similar to baseball where there's a major gap in general uh, development, mm-hmm. um, general, whether it's general physical preparations or general coordination patterns. Um, you know, everybody's so specifically driven that I, I've got to believe that's kind of the gamut. What we're facing as an industry as a whole, you know, our people are really moving away from the general physical preparation and they're just diving into things that everything that smells, looks and tastes like the sport. And so I, that's one thing I see in our sport. Um, I don't see I don't see many athletes these days either that have a good, strong, healthy training age. You know, everybody's kind of shotgun approach. I'm going to go train with Eric in 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 Florida, and then I'm going to go to this guy over here, and then I'm going to go to this guy over here. And there's nobody who's quarterbacking the whole thing. So you're seeing a, a, a think that goes back to some of the general physical preparation, but you're getting all these mixed qualities at the different times, and, and sometimes in the wrong time of preparation. I love the that commentary because I've had conversations with actually pitching coaches nowadays. Where, where a buddy of mine who's you know previously with Kennesaw State, he's now the Guardians. He said, "I feel like I'm more of a manager of pitchers than I'm a pitching coach. It's so much more about like how do I allocate the stress throughout the year." And we sit down all the time with high school kids, and it's just like, "Hey, let's let's talk about what the yearly calendar should be, so that you can actually have a plan and stick to it." Is the football world the same thing? Like our guys just running off to, to combines here and there and, you know, getting pulled in a lot of different directions from, from like a, an overall, like just training adherence standpoint. Uh, they do. You know, I'd say it is a, a flavor of the week or month as far as a lot of training in the off seasons. Um, but like, look at the rookie classes that tend to come into the NFL. You know, a lot of times by the time we get them in May, they've just gotten done with, you know, their combine prep that started in January and may have gone all the way through March well, they've done something that was very specific for this test, for this evaluation. And when they come into us, it's like their capacities, again, going back to that, there's going to be a, a consistent theme here, but their capacities are way down um, because everything that they put their work in for was this one-time power, this one-time speed. And to me, I, like I've become the believer, like, you know, we can chase, you know, miles per hour on the pitch. We can chase uh, how fast we run a 40, but really what I'm concerned with is, how many times can you repeat at a certain velocity? That's what I care about. I love that. Like the idea of capacity. And, um, you know, I think back, I, I remember distinctly, it was at a conference up in Syracuse. I want to say I, I ran into buddy Morris, probably like 2004, 2005. Like I was like just finishing up grad school and he had been in the NFL, gone to the college ranks, gone back to the NFL. 
And he just said to me, he's like, Eric, people don't even get it. It's it's like, it's totally different now. Like if you're on the sidelines, it's like watching a car accident on every single play. Um, the speed had changed so much. And I, I didn't grasp it. You know, at the time I was really rooted in like college basketball and soccer and doing some stuff in, you know, in the kind of the, I guess, in, into the baseball realm initially. But, you know, it, as I think back on it now I'm reflecting on like how much baseball has changed over the, the past 15, 20 years. Like, you know, how, you know, the average player is like 12% heavier than he was, you know, 20, 25 years ago, players are evaluated differently with very, very, you know, heavy analytical metrics. Um, you know, the game is more specialized, right? You see guys throwing 98 a mile an hour cutters and, you know, starters not seeing third nine time through the order. And so obviously we've seen like a, a heavy, you know, kind of change in the injury trends where now we're, you know, we have new injuries that sports medicine can't even keep up with. I'm curious, how has football changed over the course of your career? Are you guys seeing like similar trends in that regard where, you know, you talked about that narrow base at the young ages, but then these guys at the other end of the spectrum, like they're playing the game at faster speeds than ever before. Like, can you guys even keep up with it? Yeah, it's crazy because, you know, I think if you look at all the analytics and all the metrics, um, you know, I think they've said in the last two years, injuries on the rise in the NFL. And I think a lot of people are saying, well, how is that possible? We have better resources. We have better, you know, better um, opportunities to help people. You know, how can this be? And, you know, we always say, well, you know, guys are getting bigger, faster, stronger, and the collisions are bigger. Um, but I, again, I do believe it goes back to the robustness. You know, a lot of times when you look at the offseason training in our aspect, it's so narrow. They, we have such little time with them in the offseason that uh, you can't really rebuild that firm foundation again. So as far as the injury trends, I, I would say like, you know, it's kind of, it's rampant, right? It is, but buddy's right. It's a car accident. And when I'm on the sideline, I'm sitting there going one, how did that guy get up from that? But when you see the carnage in the line play, you're sitting there saying, how are there just not more injuries? Like it's, it's truly, you've got to get very lucky at the same time. Yeah. And then, you know, it's, it's kind of created this entire industry of recovery, right? Like this, this wasn't a thing. Like people didn't even talk about sleep quality, nutrition, hydration 15, yeah. 20 years ago. And now it's, it's pretty dramatic. Like are, are there things in that realm that have, you know, appealed to you more everything from, you know, obviously there's, there's like more systemic things like, you know, you know, intrinsic factors, sleep, nutrition, hydration. And then there's also extrinsic. There's lots of, you know, stuff out there. Like we love Mark pro, we love BFR. There's, there's a lot of different things that we can integrate. What have you seen the most success with in your group? Uh, you know, we, we hmm, that's a good one because I think there's a lot of really good modalities that people are using. Um, and I, I think, you know, if you go back to the big rocks, you know, you know, the, if you sit there and say, what are athletes not getting? I don't think they're really getting that great of sleep hygiene. I don't think they're really getting that good undulation of periodization modeling throughout a season. Um, so at the big rocks, that's the things I think they're missing. And then on the small rocks, I think there's really a lot of good things that people are using modality wise, right? Whether it's the, the different physical therapy uh, tools, whether it's cupping, needling, cryotherapy, float tank, you know, hot, cold contrast. But I think the biggest issues that I tend to see, Eric, is where does it fit? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think it's just like anything, like you can throw it all up against the wall and think, oh, I'm recovered, but was it the right modality and the right intervention at the right time? And so I think that's one thing that we've, we've run into in our field that's kind of problematic because we've all sat there and said, well, as long as they're doing modalities, they're going to recover. Yeah. And that's not the case. I mean, you might be doing something that's, that's suppressing the nervous system, something that's stimulating the nervous system. And if you're doing them at the wrong times, yeah. I think it can be problematic to yeah. uh, performance and healing. 
you're playing for the tie. And, you know, I, I, I've even always like mm. to turn out the term, like the, the best recovery solution is to never develop a work capacity problem in the first place. Yeah. And, and I think you, you hinted at that earlier is guys just aren't building a broad enough base and they're, you know, they're stuck in specificities for so long that they aren't prepared for when it comes time to actually bounce back from these like really rigorous exposures. Yeah. I, I think, you know, going back to like, what are some of the best things? I think just good, good hands-on uh, therapy, yeah. you know, finding good therapists that can really feel tissue and understand tissue quality. Mm-hmm. I think that's huge. I think uh, being able to get t- uh, players on a table and just feel like open chain, you know, ranges mm-hmm. of motion and just feel how they're moving in their joints in the, in a, a more passive range and then taking them off the table and seeing them in an active range and saying, is that similar to what I'm seeing in yeah. the open chain? I love that. Um, so uh, it's a personal bias of mine, and it's probably unfair because I know you're you're prepared in a wide variety of realms. But I feel like I, almost every time I've seen you present, um, and, and this is in different places, like I, it always like recurs to me that you just nail acceleration. Like you you mm. speak on it, you you understand it really really well. You know, I always remember you dropping the you we're trading interest for angles. Like that was one that that stuck out in my mind. I I want to say it was like a NSCA conference in Las Vegas or something like that years ago. But, you know, whenever I hear your name, I, I instantly think acceleration. And it's obviously a key component of speed development, something you know well from not just preparing NFL guys, but also, you know, you know, effectively teaching guys to cheat the combine test, all that stuff. So let's talk about some key competencies relating to acceleration, you know, and, and maybe we touch technical, you know, slash coaching, but then also the principles of like, how do we actually train it at a high level? Absolutely. So, um, you know, if I'm looking at acceleration, I sit there and say, what, what, what are the trainable qualities that we can influence acceleration? If we look at, you know, all of our trainable qualities, we can talk about, you know, mobility, stability. Um, and when we talk about that, we can talk about all the, the joints from the ground up. You know, we talk about how the foot moves, how the big toe moves, how the ankle, the towel cruel joint moves. Um, you know, how, how well does the shin move over the midfoot with the towel cruel range of motion? You know, what is the ability to flex the knee and be able to get bend? How can you load the hip? And you just kind of look all the way up the chain. So from a mechanical standpoint, I'd say your flexibility, mobility strategies are absolutely critical. I think, again, looking at trainable qualities, we look at coordination. The better coordination I have, the better I'm going to be able to express a storage of elastic energy. So having athletes understand the ability to be able to elastically switch from flexion and extension, flexion and extension, you know, through that that pelvic complex. Um, And then I think, you know, looking at, you know, let's look at our strength qualities, right? Um, We've got to have have great, you know, endurance capabilities. We've got to have great strength foundation. The better our strength, the better our power output, the better our power output, the better the ability to express uh, force and the better ability to show speed and velocity. So when I look at all those different things, like we can sit there and say, if I had a continuum up of all these qualities that we can train, I'd say, which one of these um, are going to get us faster? And you should look at them all and say, yes, (laughs) you know, it's not one, it's all. So go ahead. Not to cut you off. I'm and and I know you got a million things that you can go in different directions, including like the actual, like overall program principles. Do you think we bias too much towards just pure strength work with our athletes? Um, I'm, I'm curious because I, it's, it's a trend I see in baseball, right? You see guys that get better for their first two years of college and then they just, they level off, they get hurt, they get more banged up. It's because it's like, Hey, what, what took you to a 450 back squat, like going to a 500 back squat, the injury risk goes higher and you're, you're, you're not getting much better training rate of force development, you know, even velocity based training, stuff like that can make a big difference. Do you see that as much in the football side of things, or is it just so brute strength that you, you kind of have to keep selling out for it? 
No, you know it's funny because I'd say in the interior play, right, right, you do sell out for that that brute yeah. strength. The guy, the players want to feel that weight on the bar. You know, whether it's a, a back squat, front squat, trap bar, you know, they want to feel that load. Um, but I do think that a lot of the players are so biased onto that that if I sit there because I see it in my room, hey, we're going to go at sixty percent today, and we're going to take the weight way back, and I need you to move this thing as fast as you can. It's very hard for them to equate that that has a similar or better outcome than what they've always done. So I agree that it, that is that's definitely something that I think people have always gone to that. Well, this is how I've always done it, and this is how yeah. I, I feel good, or I feel it's my Superman cape leading into Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I always tell them, I said, if you pull off this week at sixty percent, when we go back up, watch how easy it's going to feel. Watch how better it's going to feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think that is a problem. Now, I'll, I'll contradict myself where I do think some of these athletes don't, ex, ex, in looking at acceleration specifically, mm-hmm. I don't think some of these athletes do express enough time into pure strength to have that good first, second, third step express, expression of force. You know, I've kind of always used that. I think it was the you know, the, the model of the, you know, that my first two to three steps is going to be really, you know, my, my overcoming strength, you know, when I'm looking at my squat, my deadlift, mm-hmm. and then my kind of power cleans and my plyometrics kind of are my steps three and so on. And so for me, it becomes much more elastic as they go further. It feels like, um, so I, I do think there's a bias of some strength patterns, but then I do believe in some athletes, they don't, they don't, saturate enough into pure strength to be able to express how much force they can give in those first couple steps yeah and and even the commentary on on the elastic qualities i think it's so overlooked you know we see a lot in the baseball world is right kids specialize in baseball and you're never going to get the elasticity you get from playing soccer or basketball like just the pure like ground contacts the numbers are astronomical it's you know it's like 2200 changes of direction in a soccer game for like an average midfielder like you go and you just like play pick up hoops with your buddy once a week or just do a strength edition for It's just not enough. Are you seeing that in football as well? Like where, where guys aren't playing those other sports and they're actually being robbed of some of the elasticity or is it just the, you know, the level that you're at, you're getting a lot of guys who are the, it's a little bit of a natural selection at work too, right? Yeah, I agree. There's a great natural selection and uh, the guys are great at what they do and they've got, they picked the right parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's funny, I would say, you know, the, the further on they've gotten their career, it's really been, taboo to go do those things yeah right hey don't go play basketball in the off season yeah. because if you get hurt or don't go do this and so in a lot of ways the the scope of what their ex- exposure to has kind of been narrowed down yeah. and uh you know so so i, I think it's a catch-22 for sure but uh mm-hmm. you know i had this conversation with somebody the other day we were talking about the differences and you know i worked with a de- decent amount of hockey and i'm sure you yeah. have too back uh yeah. back in your day um but you could always tell the difference between a north american hockey player versus a european hockey player those guys would come in and their footwork skills and if you put a soccer ball on uh, yeah. you know to their feet they could juggle they can move the ball with great dexterity and great control and the north american guys are like you know it's bouncing off their foot <laughs> so I, I think there's a lot to be said with that when we look at just yeah. the development of athletic capability it goes you know we could talk about it about you know you know long-term athletic development yeah. you know and i think as these athletes get further in their career as they should they should get more narrowed but I think sometimes the, they narrow so much that it does hurt some of their development. Uh, that's huge. And something we, we hammer home heavily on this podcast, just because baseball is the, probably the you know, sport out there that's most heavily impacted because of the, the, the relationship between specialization and injury seems to be higher, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, kids specialize in soccer, not everybody blows out their ACL, you know, 
the majority of players have arm issues each season in some capacity. So it, it snowballs faster. Um, jumping back on the acceleration kind of conversation, let's talk about like big picture programming principles. Like, what do you like? How often do you train it? You know, do you microdose it throughout the week? Do you like more intensive sessions less frequently? What's your, what's your, you know, kind of overall approach throughout the year for it? You know, if I look at just like, we'll, we'll look at like off season and blending into what is our off season program. Like, I think that it's something that you have to touch on pretty frequently. Um, you know, I do believe that all of it is a skill and I think it's also a robustness of the tissue as well. And so to be uh, the ability to express those forces, I think gives those tissues the capacity or the capability to handle big force. And when it comes into change of direction later, you know, if I've been working on great acceleration, I've got good, strong tension in the Achilles. I've got to believe as I'm working into my change of direction, I'm bursting out into acceleration that I've got a stiffer ankle complex and my Achilles is more robust to be able to handle that. So um, I look at those kind of uh, needs in the off season, but um, you know, one thing I do believe in it's, you know, I, I build out my models short to long. Mm-hmm. And so if I, if I look at acceleration, it's short to long. And then if I look at my more of my capacities or my max V it's long to short, and then they kind of converge and blend. Um, so I would say they get excel- pure acceleration one day a week, but they get a hybrid of acceleration with all their change yeah. of direction work. Cause I try to show the athletes how your acceleration isn't just for this cool ability to go straight ahead. Yeah. Like once I drop the hips and I make my, I flip my hips, like boom, now it's right back yeah. to my acceleration, uh, qualities. Um, I teach something with our defensive players and it's called break gas. And it's ultimately teaching them as I'm going backwards and I have to plant and react. I break one leg. And as I'm breaking on one leg, my other leg is going right into acceleration principles. And so I'm hitting those acceleration mechanics. So they see those types of drills mm-hmm. probably two to three times a week uh, in yeah. the off season. Now, as we get it, you know, closer into, you know, mini camps and everything like that, you know, football is a priority. And so I don't get a lot of exposure on the movement side, but I'm always rehearsing those acceleration qualities or those mechanics within their warm up as they're leading into their practices. Um, so much so that, uh, you know, um, uh, two years ago, we had a special teams coach that um, he would teach the Lando lean, he called it. Mm-hmm. And it was a specific acceleration setup that we would get into. And I would teach the first few steps of acceleration mm-hmm. on kickoff coverage. So, um, you know, th- they were getting expressed in the more specific aspects um, in training camp, in mini camps. And then as the season went, you know, the coach would always reiterate Lando lean, whatever. And we'd look at, you know, look at the angles and the positions. And uh, so so there was a way that they were getting the reinforcement of those qualities in season. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that's really about the the bulk of time I give with the guys uh, to be able to express movement in season. It's really challenging. With uh, we, we know that as the, the distance uh, of a run increases, you, you know, the injury risk goes high, you know, mm-hmm. particularly when we're talking about early in a training program, like, you know, guys get a little bit of a breather at the end of the season and you, you want to start reintegrating stuff. Like we've had a lot of success with like, you know, some like Derek Hansen's like 10 by 10 stuff with, mm-hmm. with just like building some early capacity with athletes where the total volume is really low, but there's, there's a lot of repeated bouts. Where do you get nervous? Right. Like when you have a guy that's going like, is it, is it 15? Is it 20? What's the distance where, you know, where you're starting to see guys get more upright and it's like, Hey, maybe yeah. we're moving a little too fast with this. Yeah. I would say the wheels don't tend to fall off from what I see until about 40 to 50 yards. Yeah. 
you know, I might, the only time I really get nervous is when you, sometimes you walk, kick, watch kickoff coverage. You yeah. know, if I'm watching acceleration, I'm, I'm rarely concerned in acceleration. The biggest time I'll get a concern is when I'm watching baseball players, because, yeah. um, you know, when they're trying to, I worked with a couple of baseball players about six, seven years ago who were having reoccurring, uh, growing and hip flexor issues. And one thing I was finding is they were really trying hard to dig and drive out an acceleration, yeah. but you're dealing with a surface that gives. You know, if you're running, you're running the base pads and that dirt gives like you're trying to push and that 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 hip is still going back into that negative acceleration yeah. back. And so what happens, you get this this excessive eccentric loading onto the hip flexors and then obviously into the adductors that su- support hip flexion in your your adductor brevis, your pectineus and your adductor longus. They support hip flexion. So those guys are getting taken for a ride every time you try to push into the dirt and the dirt gives it's like a little bit of slack in the line. So that's the only time I would ever get nervous, honestly, in acceleration was watching baseball players, you know, digging out um, that run to first or, you know, even even, uh, you know, trying to extend from first to second. You know, when you just see them push really hard, you know, they've got to get back through. And yeah. uh, but in our sport, you know, I'd say, you know, the number one predictor for for soft tissue injury is high speed yards. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, looking watching special teams play, watching, you know, gunners go down on the field and they're sprinting full speed. And at the same time, oh, by the way, somebody's grabbing and yanking yeah. and pull on me as I'm trying to hit my mechanics. And so those are the things that always kind of <laughs> you're like, oh, boy, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're crossing your fingers. It's like a give and take in in, in football. You, you get top speed more often, obviously kickoff coverage, like you talked about, or just like a receiver running a deep route baseball. You, you, you never get it. It's, it's yeah. impossible. You, you run fast and turn left. Um, and I think that, you know, or it's the, like NASCAR. Distance, yeah. It's, you know, <laughs> no, that's the challenge. The, the difference though, is that baseball, it's like, if you have a little blip, you're in a lot of trouble because it's, you know, it's 162 games. You're maybe two days off a month. You just, you can't possibly play catch up at that highest level when there's something going on and, you know, football, you know, it's bad every Sunday, but at least you got six days before you get to do it again. So it's, it's a trade-off for sure. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely Um, right. We interrupt this episode with a quick reminder that this podcast is brought to you by athletic greens. It's NSF certified all-in-one superfood supplement with 75 whole food source ingredients designed to support your body's nutritional needs. I use this product daily and a ton of our athletes do as well. Head to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy and claim my special offer today for 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. I'd encourage you to give it a shot too, especially because of this great offer and because it gives you peace of mind knowing that you're covering all your nutritional bases. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y to get that special offer. I was going to say, we're talking about like key considerations across all sports and, and don't think you have to necessarily be like pigeonholed into the football, but you know, are there things in your assessment process in particular that you're looking at, whether it's movement competencies or, or speed qualities, whatever it may be that, that, you know, you're worried about for your MMA guys, your, your baseball, your, your hockey, your football guys all like. Yeah, I, I, I love watching, you know, as the year's gone on, I, I sit back and say, what really is going to tick the biggest box or what's the most, um, you know, juice for the squeeze and. You know, I'll, I'll watch, I like just coming into my facility the last couple of days. Like, I just like to watch athletes move and see how do they express force? Do they express it efficiently, inefficiently? And so I'm always looking like bend patterns, like how well do they bend? How well do they fold? How well can they, they, they go into those positions of squat and lunge and lateral lunge. And those are some key indicators for me of like what, what the uh, capabilities are of joint in, in multi multi-limb function or multi-joint function. Mm-hmm. 
<clears throat> and so once I start evaluating somebody and seeing how they move in space in, in those kind of static based exercises, uh, I call them static because they're not locomotion per se. Um, and then saying, okay, this person actually has pretty good bend quality. Let's see what they do when they start to move and, uh, you know, see, can they figure it out on their own and are they relaxed? Can they be coordinative? Can they be smooth? Can they be elastic? And those are the things that really jump out at me and just like a, an eyeball evaluation, um, how well do they connect the dots of efficiency, um, or how inefficient are they? And so that's when I start kind of mapping out like where I think I need to spend my time. Hey, this athlete, um, you know, they've got great power qualities in the weight room. We've seen it, but they don't know how to load and they don't know how to express that force in a good orchestrated manner. And so that's kind of how I'll use like the weight room. I'll use a little bit of the warm up and then make them, you know, get them bouncy, get them elastic and just see how efficient they start to move. Um, some, some athletes, it's crazy to me is like they, they can bend well, they can squat well, they can lunge well, they can go through all the whole dynamic patterns extremely well. And you get them into locomotion and they get really rigid yeah. and they, they, they rob what they have. Yeah. It's, it's the, the ability to relax. That's so hard to like, to, to teach, you know I mean? It's, it's some people just go into panic mode right away. Um, with, sorry, go ahead. I, I was going to say, you know, here, here's a, here's a perfect example with MMA fighters. Um, you know, you go to their sparring and you watch them hit the mitts and they're relaxed and they're fluid and they're elastic. And then all of a sudden we come in, in here and we go into conditioning and everything is, uh, 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 and they're robbing the elasticity by just trying harder. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, don't try as hard. Yeah. A lot of the, the best arms on the planet, like, you know, guys that hit a hundred for the first time, it's like, my, I just felt like my arm was just whipping through. I wasn't like muscling up and trying to throw harder. It's more about putting yourself in positions to be successful and, and timing things up. Well, um, with, with, uh, you guys do much in the, in the realm of like force velocity profiling, whether it's force plates and you guys have had some experience with Proteus as well. Like yeah. what, what gets you excited on that front nowadays? It's funny. I, I'm my, the produce has been in my facility, so now I'm going to yeah. start spending a lot more time yeah. with it. But I'm excited to play around with it. But you know, we'll play around on the. It, you know, I I say we'll we'll play around on the force plates. But you know, I always think like um, you can see with an athlete if they're a short converter, quick converter, and are they elastic guy or they a strength guy. And so for me, it's utilizing like the force plate data to kind of hopefully kind of complement what I'm already yeah, verify seeing. It. Yeah. yeah, verify what I'm already seeing. And, uh, you know, it goes back to the same thing I said earlier, like everybody needs all the training qualities, yeah. but who needs who needs more of what? Yeah. And so, you know, utilizing those types of tests or those types of assessments to sit there and say, um, you know, this guy is really elastic. He needs to be stronger. This guy needs to be strong or this guy's strong. He needs to be more elastic and utilizing the force plate data to help kind of run yeah. with that. When you, when you walk into your facility, right, you'll see MMA guys, you'll see baseball players, male and female athletes, you'll see obviously NFL guys. Like what are the elements that for you are applicable across all sports? And when I wrote this question, I had to like stop and think about the things that, that, that were, you know, key for me about how I viewed movement. Is there stuff that you see pretty much everybody doing in your facility? Yeah, I I think like, um, you know, I, I think the understanding of, of a, a good acceleration habits are good, right? We talked about acceleration earlier, and and almost every sport needs the ability to express that acceleration component. There might be changes of body posture. You know, we have technical models that we we kind of teach by, but then ultimately we have to have sport models that we adapt to. So there's bandwidths of what what is is necessary. I might need to hit these positions. So I, I think acceleration is a key thing. And if I'm, you know, there's, there's one position I've been thinking about and I've been watching quite a bit lately, Eric, and it's just a, it's a simple squat pattern. 
And the, I'm, I'm noticing a, a commonality in the athletes who can lunge lateral really, really well can do a lot of good things. So, you know, sometimes we, we see certain things and certain exercises and we're like, wow, this really ticks a box. Here's another one. If I take somebody into an open chain evaluation mm-hmm. and if I take them into hip flexion, hip internal rotation, mm-hmm. my best movers have the best availability of hip internal rotation and hip flexion. And so, you know, as we're in this field longer, we start to see these things like they just keep showing up. They keep showing up. That is one. And then that yeah. lunge lateral pattern is another one that keeps showing up for me. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why. I don't know if it means that they've got a you know greater ability to decelerate or change direction or they just have these fluidity patterns. But those are a couple of things that have been jumping out at me lately that that kind of hold true with some great athleticism and health. Yeah, athleticism and health. I think so. And, you know, hip IR just in general, I mean, obviously there's research that correlates it to, you know, low back pain in golfers and we can see it, you know, you lose it across that, you know, that movement pattern and you're going to, you're going to have issues in pretty much any rotational sport. And, you know, you can, you can work around it. You know, if you're a pitcher, you can be more externally rotated on your back leg on the mound. And, you know, there's always adjustments, but there's nothing better than actually preserving what God gave you. But what's actually fascinating, I'll give you an anecdotal story. So I, I, uh, I even did a podcast on it. My, my first orthopedic surgery ever was a meniscus repair. So I had a, a left meniscus repair in January of 2021. And um, so there was two weeks non-weight bearing and then two weeks partial weight bearing. So it was effectively four weeks on crutches, very sagittal plane driven. And then coming out of it, it was like, hey, let's not be stupid. Um, because of the nature of my repair, they actually had to do like basically gave me a grade two MCL sprain in order to get access to the meniscus. So I had quite a bit of medial trauma. So frontal plane was just kind of out for, for about two months. And I distinctly just remember coming out of it and like being like, wow, my, my groins are tight. Like I, Mm -hmm. I didn't, I took for granted how much just like being on the floor, demonstrating exercises, you know, like doing like partner mirror side shuffle drills with other athletes, all those different things. And it it really has like, I mean, I'm, I'm two years later now, as we record this, it, it had a marked like downfall to my, to my movement quality. Like I've had to work very, very hard to get it back. There's to your point, like that lateral lunge, there's something about the frontal plane where you just, you can't lose it. And And I'm sure there's a trickle down effect for a lot of older adults, you know, who used to be athletes who, you know, get more sedentary and you got to move side to side, you know, we got to put in our warmups for people who aren't even athletes and, you know, and really expose them to it because it's so easy to lose that adductor length. Yeah. Oh, you're, uh, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Um, so uh, I know you've mentored a lot of young coaches that you've, you've obviously had people that have, that have come up underneath you both as interns, as employees at your facility. And one of the things we both, it's so hard to teach someone how to write a comprehensive training Mm. program, right? People get really caught up with the the flavor of the week they saw on Instagram, or, you know, they just, they maybe haven't been exposed to enough philosophies. So they just kind of like regurgitate what they saw somewhere else. Like what advice would you give to young coaches who want to learn how to write good programs? Yeah. um, You know, it's, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to fail. You've got to fail. You've got to jump in and you've got to start somewhere. Um, You know, one thing I always tell, I I never try to give too much away because I want to see what you come up with. But the one thing I talk about is exercise sequence or, you know, how do you sequence your training? You know, are you doing all your, your comprehensive lifting and then you're doing your running (laughs) 
yeah. you know, how do you sequence it all and what, what is priority? Yeah. So I always say, you know, we, we always say we build with the, the goal in mind. Well, what, what's your goal? Okay. Build with that goal. Okay. It, you know, where does the movement fall? What, how, what's the warm up look like? And, and how are you going to wrote, how are you going to uh, synchronize your, your strength and your movement throughout the week? And how are you going to bring them down during the week and when you can bring them back up? So I always talk to them about like, what's your goal? Now build your sequence based on what you told me your goal was. Because a lot of times yeah. I'll ask a coach what your goal is. And then I'll look at the program and go, this has nothing to do with the goal you told me. And so, because I think they get caught up in all the abilities of what I can put on paper. And I think as we get older as practitioners, I probably remove more that's on the paper than keep on. And so I think there's this need that I have to just saturate more and more work instead of like what's be the sequencing of it and how it's being done. Um, so I always talk about, you know, you've got to be right on with your sequencing. That's the number one thing, but I want them to trial by, by fire and I want them yeah. to fail. And I want them to, to write a lot of programs and I want to see your why, like you should be, we, we always say it, it's the cliche. It's the right answer to say in our field, you should be able to explain the why of everything you put on there. Yeah. And I believe that you should have a good solid justification for everything you have. And, mm -hmm. and you might bring something to me going, you know what? I didn't think about that. That's great. You know, I didn't think about that for this and that makes total sense. So if you, if you sit back and you build out your programming uh, by justifying your, why you're doing it and what the goal is, um, I don't think you can go wrong early on. You know, we're, we're going to make mistakes. I think early on in my career, I don't know about yours, but man, I would, I'd write a program and maybe it was bad. Maybe it was good, but an athlete would go have success. And I immediately thought I was amazing. <laughs> Or quite opposite, yeah. you know, uh, you write a program and maybe it was really good and the athlete didn't have success and you thought, man, I suck. Well, I've learned that you, you can't, you, you can't just judge based off that one trial. Like you've mm -hmm. got to really, you've got to make your mistakes along the way. You you've got to sample size. That's yeah. And, and, and can you sit there and say like, from what we know today, scientifically based practice, does this make sense? Yeah. Does this follow the principles that I believe in and that we know about development, that we know about um, common injuries for this sport and how we can hopefully back engineer and keep them more healthy? Like, does it answer those types of questions? So, you know, you have to be able to go back in a checks and balance and say, does this follow a sequence? And am I living up to the goal that I said I put out? It's so important to like the failure aspect of that is so key. Um, actually, Eric Schoenberg's the, the physical therapist at our facility in Florida, and he's mentored a lot of students. I'll never forget. He had one student and this is 10 years ago. And he asked him, you know, they had a patient in front of him, you know, patient finished session. He's like, well, you know, what would you do? Uh, or what would you think? And the guy was like, well, Bill Hartman would do this. And Charlie Weingroff would do this. It's yeah. like, hey, well, what would you do? Yeah. Like, those guys are both brilliant and super successful. But what would you do? Like, yeah. they're not here in the room with you. Like, you need to have a leg to stand on your own. And, and I think we have that way too often as people get you get really rigidly adhered to methods yeah. instead of recognizing that all these different disciplines can come together. And it's kind of like a unique yeah. casserole for every, for every athlete or patient that's in front of them. I think you bring up a really good point because I think that, uh, you know, we sit there and we argue, you know, periodization models and we argue all these different things. And at the end of the day, these were models. Yeah. These were models that put forth and your circumstances are going to be different than my circumstances. Yeah. And, and what fits best is it block training. Is it weekly undulated? Is it daily undulated? Like what works best? And, and ultimately it's going to be, you know, 
what works best for your scenario and the athlete that you're dealing with, with their training age and their injury history um, and, and all those other <laughs> qualifications that really allow you to further individualize. But, uh, you know, I think we argue so much on semantics or we argue on, well, this is what my guru says, or this is what mm -hmm. this guru says. No, what do you think? What do you know mm -hmm. to be true today to what you know? But and that's, I, that's challenging. I, I like leaning on, on conversations like this because you, you've done this for a long time. Like I'm, I'm, I'm two decades deep at this point. Like, and it, it's fascinating. I'll hear people make these like really, really steadfast, like strong statements that like, this is the way to do things. Mm -hmm. It's like you, you, your facility has been open for two years. Like <laughs> you don't know like how this is going to play out. Like we have, we have actually five kids that were with us at age 14 that are now pitching in the big leagues. That's so like, awesome. that's like a, it's like a cool yeah. long-term development model where it's yeah. like, all right, this is, this is a powerful thing and we're, and we're learning, we're continuously adjusting and, 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 you know, taking our licks where, where things don't go well. But I just think we have to be open-minded. I just love the concept of like, of, you know, be open to fail, but you also have to be willing to admit when you did fail, like you have to be able to identify it um, and have some humility. Yeah. And I think as a young coach, that's really hard to admit. I yeah. think, you know, as I've gotten older, I've sat there and been like, yep, I screwed that one up, <laughs> you know, but as a young coach, like I think your ego and your pride is in the way and you don't want to say, I don't know better. Or, I don't want to reach out to somebody or somebody does know better on this subject. And I think that's a real powerful thing when you sit there and say, you know what, let me call somebody. Let me see yeah. who I can talk to on this. And, and I'm, I'm kind of leading in my next question almost by accident, but you've worked with athletes all across the training lifespan. So we talked about different sports, but like you and I both know you, you see 13, 14, 15 year old kids that'll start up in your facility. And, mm. and some of those guys are, are playing professional sports and getting scholarships to play division one athletics, all that stuff. Are there key checkpoints for you, you know, across this mm. developmental timeline in terms of like, you know, I remember Mike Boyle being like, Hey, um, you know, my kids, it was two lifts a week from age 11 on. So certainly it was mm. you know, maybe one when they were 11, it was four when they were 17 and that mm. helped them out, you know, uh, obviously there's nutritional stuff. Like I, I know what we do with our, you know, kind of 12 and 13 year old kids. What we do with our 14, 15 and then our 17, 18, they're all very different for you at, you know, at Landau performance. Like, are there certain things that you think are like sequential development points for you in, in terms of how you look at long-term athletic development? Yeah. You know, that's actually really, you know, it's, you, when you were going back to the athletes who you had the, you know, some 14 year olds who are now in the big leagues. Uh, I came across some pictures the other day of um, we had like, uh, I can, tell you right now there were four kids in the picture actually no i take that back there were five kids in this picture of 12 high school athletes and five of them are playing in the nfl right now awesome. one's playing in the super bowl on sunday one of those kids was christian mccaffrey and so like these kids are playing at a high level and then i look further down and there's there's a kid who's playing you know triple a baseball for the braves there's a kid who's um you know now fighting in bellator for mixed martial arts so Again, you see the the growth of these athletes athletes developing and and goes back to like it was general physical preparation. Yeah. You know, I wasn't saying here's how to be a better this or a better that. Like let's maximize the human body. So I think going back to your original question, and and Missy Franklin was another one. Eleven years mm -hmm. old, she started in our facility, and then I was able to watch her from eleven to go into the first Olympics at seventeen. And so what I noticed with those athletes and then her is when puberty hits and you just see these growth spurts, like, can you maintain the athleticism? Yep. Can you maintain all those things that we spoke about earlier that were key into athletic development, the elasticity, the orchestration of, of sequential joint movements and how you pro pro propel force and how you absorb force? Like, can you keep those qualities and those movement patterns 
um, influenced while they're going through these extreme uh, changes in height and center of mass changes and that awkwardness. I always felt that if you kept your athletes kind of, it was like rebooting your computer. If you can yep. keep them on these movement qualities. And that's one thing. If the athletes kind of quit coming in at different times of development, you would see them regress big time until they shot back up. But if they stay consistent into yep. movement, I called it movement hygiene, yep. you know, things that we can do every day. If they were consistent on that, you never saw that drop off uh, when they went through those uh, growth spurts. That's so, a huge point. I, I love that because you, I mean, these kids will literally shoot up six inches in six months. It happens. And if, if that six months coincides when they decide to go in season and just, and just can training, like they lost all of the competency stuff that they worked to build before that. It's huge. I, I remember parents coming to me saying, you know, my, you know, my son or my daughter, they've grown five inches in X amount of time. And, you know, just when they run now it's gangly and their legs are swinging. I'm like, Put yourself on stilts. There's six <laughs> inches right now. Tell me how well you're going to move. Yeah. And your body has to readjust and recalibrate to that. And, and you know what also people don't realize, and um, Greg Rose has talked about this a lot with respect to like kind of long-term development golfers, like those are actually critical windows to train power because what happens, the, the bones stretch out fast, the muscles and tendons can't keep up. So you got a, a perfect kind of environment for elasticity. Um, you know, Absolutely. so you might as well take advantage of that growth spurt and actually use it to, to kind of catapult you, no pun intended, forward. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll shift up a little bit. Um, you know, I'm always curious about like what bright guys in the industry are, are excited about, what they're doing differently. Like for you, what's been your, your biggest growth area, you know, in recent history? Like what have you changed in your programming that you've kind of learned from, you know, in the past that maybe you could have done differently? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. I get asked the question a lot, like what? What do I see now in the NFL versus how I was preparing guys for the NFL when I was outside? And I would say when I was outside, um, I wasn't preparing. There's a common theme here. I wasn't preparing them with enough capacity of work. Um, You know, once you start seeing what these practices look like, you know, my first year in, I was like, oh, my God, these practices were a a lot more volume than I had uh, expected. And uh, so I would say. You know, for me, the biggest thing that I've been working on for the last five years, Eric, was trying to solve this riddle of the NFL uh, because the timelines are not ideal. Uh, the windows that you have to work with them are not ideal. And so I'm sitting there saying, you know, time's our biggest adversary. How can I maximize the time that I have and best prepare these guys uh, for something that's as, as um, violent as the game is? And so that's probably what I've been racking my brain on the most is how do you fit it all together from an assessment standpoint to a a daily readiness to, you know, what their catapult reports read out and how do you blend it all together? And it's a it's a a, it's a challenging puzzle without a doubt. And so I think I've tried to do my damnedest to deep dive and try to absorb and understand as much as I can of it. And it's a there's so many variables to it but uh, that's what con- consumes most of my my moments that i'm awake and, and even when i'm asleep <laughs> i love it um maybe, maybe building on that like you're you're a progressive thinker you're always thinking about ways you can get better so obviously that's been something you've attacked what what now is the what's the weird stuff you think about at 3 a.m as you stare off into blackness like what excites you now whether it's in the research or in just going into the, the facility and, and experimenting with stuff now I think the biggest thing is like how you communicate things and make them actionable. Um, you know, you and I being in team sports, you know, I think that's the challenging thing is we sit there and we say, here's some things that we're seeing that are trend wise. And here's the things that are kind of red flags to us. 
how can I best communicate that to a position coach or a coordinator to sit there and say, I really need you to listen to this information. Um, and so I think it's, it's really like the delivery of communication, honestly, more yeah. than anything right now is how do I, I've yeah. got this knowledge. I have this knowledge. Now, how can I have you understand how important it is to me and how do I make it important to you where it's actually actionable? And yeah. that's not, that's not that easy. Closing the gap on what you know and what you can mm-hmm. actually apply. Um, mm-hmm. All right, man. We always do a, a lightning round on the on the tail end of any of these podcasts. Okay. Um, and I know you're a voracious reader. So, what's one book that you think every young athlete should read? Every, uh, you know, what I love. Ah, man, I gave this to all my players a couple of years ago on the Broncos, and it's Chop Wood, Carry Water. Yeah. I we've heard that one before. That's a good recommendation. Love it. I love it. And I I also love uh can I give one more answer? Yeah, for sure. Uh Trevor Moad's uh It Takes What It yeah. Takes. Great one too. Uh previous the late Trevor Moad, God rest mm-hmm. his soul. Uh mm-hmm. previous podcast guest, so it's a great list and people should check oh, out. Um absolutely. what about um a book that you think every coach should read? Um, ooh, every coach. <clears throat> I, I I really love the book uh David and Goliath by uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Gladwell has some good books to to, to look mm-hmm. at scenarios and situations. Um, I really, really enjoyed that one. David and Goliath was a good one. I like that. I I, that, I read that a while ago. I got to go back and revisit mm-hmm. that maybe with a different lens. I wasn't mm-hmm. coaching as much as I probably am now then. So it'd be a good check out. Um, if you could go back in time and give a younger Lauren Landau some advice, say, I don't know, 25 years ago, what would it be? Don't get high with the highs. Don't get low with the lows. Um, you know, one step in front in front of the other, like, uh, you know, just trying to, you know, I, I'm, I'm a believer that I'm one of my X factors is I'm very, very consistent. And I would be, I would tell that young guy, Hey, hold true to the consistency of how you believe and how you work and what you do. Um, but don't get high with the highs, don't get low with the lows and just be that middle guy. I like that. That's big for our athletes too. They got mm-hmm. so much negativity in their lives where you can just kind of be that that neutral influence to reference a, a Trevor mm-hmm. Moad, you know, kind of concept. Mm-hmm. Um, that's big, man. Um, I, Hey, tell, tell folks where they can, uh, they can find you. I know obviously you get the facility, yep. a pretty active social media presence. Make sure you spread the word here. Absolutely. So, uh, Ella, um, gosh, uh, on Instagram, it's, uh, Lauren Lando. And then, uh, I haven't been on Twitter in a while, but I'm probably <laughs> going to get back on. There you go. <laughs> It's one rule of working in pro sports. Don't check your mentions, right? I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. I got rid of Twitter a couple of years ago. Smart move. And then the facility, it's, it's Landau Performance. Yeah, Landau Performance. In Colorado. Absolutely. They do a great job. So definitely, if you guys are in, in that neck of the woods, check them out. Lauren, this was awesome, man. I, uh, I Selfishly, I always love having these conversations because I get to learn a lot. But I know um, our audience, you know, players, parents, coaches, definitely picked up some great stuff as well. So really appreciate you taking the time, man. Appreciate you, Eric. Thank you. And honored to be on here with you. Thank you.